You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. You are listening to Seattle Growth Podcast. Available free on iTunes. I'm Jeff Shulman, and that's the voice and beatboxing skills of Seattle's own rising hip-hop artist, Dre's. In today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast, the artist who has opened for Snoop Dogg and had his music appear on hit shows such as Empire sits down with me and shares how Seattle's changes have affected his music and him personally. You'll also hear from Dave B., who collaborated with Macklemore on the hit song Corner Store, was seen performing on national TV on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, and headlined his own sold-out show at Seattle's Neptune Theater. Today's episode gives you a rare inside look at the journey a Seattle hip-hop artist takes in the ride to prominence. The two guests also put to words the range of emotions many people are feeling as the city of Seattle undergoes a rapid transformation. In this fourth episode of Season 4 of Seattle Growth Podcast, we are continuing the exploration of the past, present, and future of Seattle's music scene. I've met with established and emerging musicians, music industry leaders, and music fans from around the city to bring together diverse perspectives on the changes happening around us all. This season was inspired by interviews from earlier seasons of Seattle Growth Podcast. Seattle's music scene commonly came up in the discussions, but there were contrasting viewpoints. In one of my first interviews ever, I met with Steve at the since-closed-down Narbar who spoke positively about the city's growth and its effect on the music scene. The music scene is absolutely beautiful. The more people that come here for music, the better it is, in my opinion. Absolutely. Hands down. So yeah. the growth in Seattle has, hel- has helped the music abso- scene? Absolutely. Yes. That keeps this place vital and uh, very much on the map with the music scene. On the other hand, Jeff Mangalin lamented the changes he's seen in the music scene. The places that I used to enjoy going and uh, going out uh, when I first came up to the area in 2004, seeing concerts and stuff, you start seeing them disappear and you start seeing these cookie cutter like condos show up and uh, just kind of takes away the character of the town. And last season, Wendy Colgan also perceived Seattle as losing its character. There were places in every neighborhood where there was, you know, just a joint where you could go get a beer and somebody might be playing. And there were places like the Tractor, too. There were more of them. Um, People have left or closed up or it just became unprofitable. So is Seattle's music scene in decline? Or is growth bringing its best days ahead? Well, to give context to the music scene that brought Seattle national recognition... This season of Seattle Growth Podcast opened by giving unique insight into a time that the world's ears were tuned to the music coming out of the city, the 1990s. You heard from Jason Finn of the platinum-selling Presidents of the United States of America. What was it like to be a Seattle musician in this era where one could be catapulted from playing Seattle's romper room to selling millions of records around the world? In the President's case, we were, we were lucky because by the time that we started... Seattle was already sort of globally known. So all the, all the major labels were already looking at Seattle, at who was doing what in the clubs. You heard from legendary Seattle radio personality Marco Collins, who helped catapult band after band into the national spotlight. You know, the arts are honored here, and the arts are supported here. To me, I guess that's the common thread. Art, music, dance, film... Seattle is is a huge supporter of the arts, and I think that's why music stays alive here. You also heard a previous executive at the Grammys 
who came to Seattle as a musician at the beginning of the so-called grunge era. I think one of the things that's been interesting about being part of the Seattle music business is because of the isolation for a long time, there wasn't this sense of waiting for the quote-unquote music industry to come scoop you out of obscurity. So there was a real sort of uh, do-it-yourself or DIY ethic that informed everything. And in last week's episode, you heard from an inaugural member of the Seattle Music Commission who has been working with artists in Seattle for several decades, Devon Manier. People always talk about, oh, Seattle, going to put it on the map. Jimi Hendrix, Hart, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Macklemore, whatever it is, you know, Nirvana. I'm not so sure that everything is supposed to be seen like that out of Seattle. Everything doesn't reach those heights. But no matter what, real music connoisseurs know how special the city is. Real music connoisseurs still support the musicians from here. Going forward in this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, you'll be hearing from individuals closely involved in today's music scene. These episodes give you a chance to get to know some of the talented individuals who call Seattle home. And through their eyes, you will see how Seattle is evolving and how this evolution affects your fellow community members. You'll get a better understanding of how Seattle's rich musical legacy will be carried forward. And you will learn how the Seattle music scene parallels and intersects with the experiences of all Seattle community members. And today, we shine the spotlight on two Seattle hip-hop artists who are breaking out in a big way. Coming up, you will hear an extended cut of my interview with Dave B that partially appeared in the season preview. But first, join me as I sit down with Dre's. I am here with Seattle's own Dre's, a hip-hop artist who is making waves on the scene. Dre's, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. All right, so you've got a lot going on. You're, you're in the studio putting out a new album. You've had a lot of success. You've opened for Snoop Dogg. What are you feeling as your career has taken off? You know, it's just exciting, you know what I mean? Because you don't really know what's coming and what's next. So mainly just excitement, you know. Um, I don't think I've ever been more passionate about music, you know what I mean, and the music that I'm making and really a – just like an overwhelming support from people like people are really hungry for the type of stuff that I'm putting out and it's refreshing to kind of see that and so with all the big things happening and soon on the way what's your most proud accomplishment uh musically or <laughs> yeah musically life anything well, I mean the the biggest thing I'm probably proud of is being a dad to be honest with you and that might sound very generic right but like it's it's the most challenging thing that I am it is, um, yeah, I, and I, I bring that to everything that I, like, you know, I'm a real person. Um, yeah, and then, I, I mean, I like the music. I think I'm more proud of, in the art space, what the music has been able to accomplish. The doors that it's opened and the things that I've seen come from it in terms of social justice and people really connecting with life issues that move the meter forward for people, so. And, and what life issues are, are you trying to bring attention to and what kind of changes are you trying to have happen oh man everything like you know what i'm saying like to me the world needs an overhaul right like uh, some years ago they created the new normal i don't like the new normal right i don't like the old one either right but i'm like we have to find some pathway forward so that's holistic for me we need a an overhaul in how we treat everyone we need an overhaul how we treat ourselves the food that we eat like i'm that type of guy going yo we're killing ourselves with food right you know what i'm saying like the very basic thing like food but then there's the obvious gentrification there's um obviously how minorities are treated me being an african-american you know that's going to be near and dear to my heart i'm going to be passionate about that right because it affects me every single day but i care about how women are treated i care about how everyone is treated you know what i mean so 
And so what is it that you've been able to accomplish in terms of moving the needle a little bit uh, in that direction that you'd like to see? Um, when I first put out my, my I put out a record, um, my mixtape is called Seattle's Own, right? And so I did that on purpose because I really wanted to make records that spoke to the voice of Seattle and the heart of Seattle as I see it and from my perspective. And I didn't feel like that was being done. And so you do hear a strong gentrification theme throughout the record. And it's simply because as a black man in Seattle, we're almost obsolete, truly. Like this is not like some fictitious, oh, I'm throwing out a, a number. Where's the black community? And if it's only getting like Amazon's building more offices, right? So we, and I'm not blaming Amazon. I'm saying <laughs> Amazon's building more offices, which means the prices are only going to skyrocket, which means we're not going to be able to afford, which means we're going to be pushed further and further. Seattle's looking at a scenario where literally some time from now it could be like one percent african-american right and we the question is do we care right and if we care what are we willing to do um and so my music challenges people to think to to process and to to ask those questions um i think what it's been able to do though just a little bit more of an answer to your question is to cause people to really have a very genuine conversation to get involved um in the movement, there's so many things that are happening right now on the backs of this music, um, right across the street here. We're, we're in the middle of the Central District, right? So we're on 23rd across from Mount Calvary Christian Center, Uncle Ike's, um, Earl's, like this is where we're conducting this interview, right? And so right over here, you have all these new condos going up, right? But on the bottom, you have these commercial spaces. We have relationships now where these guys are saying, how do we get African-American businesses in here, right? That's how you combat a lot of what's happened with gentrification. All that, in large part, it's not only exclusively, in large part, the music played a huge role in that because it was the one undeniable thing that made people go, wait, we care. This is a problem. What do we do about it? So... So I want to give you an opportunity to get more into what you're trying to accomplish with the music and what you're seeing happening on the more social issues. But before that, I want to go back before you were ever able to have a voice with music. Tell me about your journey from just a young kid in Seattle to now uh, a successful hip-hop artist who's making social change. I was born in Seattle, uh, University of Washington Hospital. My mother and father are from Zimbabwe. So they came here in the 70s. So I was born here. My kind of earliest memories go back to really the Central District, right up here on Union. We lived across the street from TT Minor. And so, I mean, it was just, it was a great community. It was like kids outside every single day, um, football, basketball, double dutch. Um, me and a couple of friends still have what we call the greatest game never seen, ever played, right? And it was like a game in the snow one year. Doug Flutie had just, like, he had just won the national championship with that Hail Mary. So all of us, you know, your kids, you're like, I'm Doug Flutie, right? So we're, like, out there. We're, we're, we're playing football in the snow, you know what I mean? And we just – it's a game that just lives on forever. So – <clears throat> Those are kind of the memories, right? It was just us kicking it, having a good time, a community where you went outside. You went outside in the morning and you just didn't, you know what I mean? You didn't go back in the house except to run in, eat a sandwich and run right back out. Like your mom's making you eat and you're like, look, I just want to go back out and play. And so it was, it was, it, it's crazy to talk, but it was truly like this. Like a lot of the relationships that I have today are like, 
you know, there's a lot of, there's like 50 kids that lived in that area and we all knew each other. You know what I mean? And it was just, a, our parents knew each other, we knew each other, um, you know, typical community, but it was a black community. Tell me about how you started to get into music and how you were able to have the kind of success that you have now. Okay, so my mother and father are from Zimbabwe, but they're both Zimbabwean artists. My dad is credited with bringing Shona music, which is marimba and Mbita music to America. Um, and so as a child, my mom made a, a huge step. She was like, I want you guys to learn this culture. Um, she even took it the extra step and sent us back to Zimbabwe to live for a year, right? Because she was saying, you guys need to know who you are and where you're from and that this is not all of who you are. It's a part of it now. You were born here, but there's so much more to you and to your history, and it's going to be vital for your life. And so we, at as a young age, I mean, I want to say five years old, I was playing marimbas and mbitas, um in shows on Bumper Shoot, Folk Life, all these different places. And then that music took us around the world. Before you know it, you're performing in all these Canada and all these places you're going. Um, my, my life was kind of like sports. Right. So you're playing basketball and football and then you're you're playing marimba. Right. You're playing African music. You're learning Zimbabwean songs and dance. And so as I got older, um, typically when you have a passion for music, it's not that's not something you can control. My mom planted a seed and it was Zimbabwean music. Right. She would literally teach us harmonies at home. So I have one of those homes where if you've ever watched a, a program on TV and there's an African village and everyone's out singing, right? The harmonies are so beautiful. And it's like, why? Because they're doing that at home when there's five of them, right? And so, um, you know, we weren't, even in Zimbabwe, we weren't tied into television. There was like one channel when I was there and there was nothing on to watch, right? You'd much rather go outside. We were playing soccer at the time, but you're, you'd much rather go do that and singing became a part of life, a pastime. Um, and so with my journey of music, I just, I started, you know, while you're here, you have that seed planted and this love for music, but the culture around you is hip hop. When you go to school, you know what I'm saying? At the time, it was Fresh Prince and all these guys were, you know, NWA, they're all bubbling, right? And I'm like, yo, this is dope, right? Um, and so it made me say, you know, I want to do that, right? I want to do that. It's natural. I'm an American, African-American kid. And so I um, I started rapping when I was probably, I wrote my first rhyme probably in around the fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade. Um, and then I kept rapping. I was really bad, really bad for like, I was bad all the way through middle school. I don't know why I kept doing it, right? Because I just, I just, I kept rapping. I was bad. Uh, my older brothers were like better than me and they would tell me I was bad. You know what I'm saying? So, but I would just, it didn't matter. I was, I wanted to rap and so I was going to keep rapping. And something in me, I don't know, something in me knew, man, there's something nice inside of me. I don't know how to quite get it out, right? But I know. I just knew I was dope <laughs> inside, but I, I couldn't quite say what I wanted to say yet, right? In my head, it was one way, and then the words wouldn't come out. And so, um, long story short, when I got to high school, around my freshman year, I hit a spurt. And, a, and a, you know, not a growth spurt, I'm still short, but I hit a, a, a musical growth spurt. And I got decent at my freshman year. By my second year, it was like, whoa, this guy's kind of good. But my junior year, it was like, yo, 
yeah, I'm a problem, right? You don't want to, you don't want this. By my junior year, yeah, I felt like there was nobody in the city who wanted it with me. But that's how I felt. I was like, yo, let's go, right? You know what I mean? And 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 by my junior year, and and I'm literally speaking to you, but as I think, I'm speaking about the city and my school's perspective of me like the kids at Franklin that's where I was Franklin High School their perspective with freshman sophomore junior right but I'm also speaking to my big brothers right because internally I'm going by by that's their response by by my junior year they was like whoa like this guy they wouldn't say I was better but they knew I was better right we all knew I was better and it was just kind of like <clears throat> yeah, this kid's got something special. So, And in terms of showcasing what you had to other people who wanted to enjoy it, what kind of places were you able to perform once you were in hip-hop? Um, probably my, my, my biggest space. So, so back then you would cipher a lot, right? And cipher, for those who don't know, is just like a circle. You have five rappers in a circle, and then people just – you're at high school, and somebody gets a beep – Right. And then somebody else just starts freestyling and rapping. Right. Or you're saying some rhymes you've written and you really want to impress people. Right. And so the 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 crowd would just come around and that was really your biggest way to do it. Right. Because you were going to touch them as grassroots. But then Langston Hughes Cultural Arts Center provided opportunities for me and a lot of, you know, the people who you see doing it well today, Vitamin D, myself, Macklemore even, like everybody will credit this place in this space for being a hub and saying if you want to perform on a stage, you know, they'll put on talent shows and then the championship would be at the Seattle Center, right? That was a big deal, right? You get to perform in the center house, right? And so, um, you know, that was that was kind of my stage. Langston Hughes was really where we, we cut our teeth. What about in terms of getting gigs? Did you have to put out your mixtape before you started getting gigs, like paid to do what you love? So I, from there I went on, um, my brother and me, my two brothers and I, uh, my younger brother actually, and my, one of my older brothers, we formed a group. So in high school I was in a group called Design, right? And then Design never put, mu we never put music out. Right. We just we, we split up before that could happen. But we were amazing. And then my rap partner, a lot of people don't know this. Um, one of my main partners in design passed away. And so he was um, he's the one who named me Dre's. And so some people would be like, would you change your name? I'm like, absolutely not. Right. And so um, he was in the South End, got stabbed and was killed. And so at that point, shout out to little Jada Fever, my guy, you know. Um, and so at that point, I was like, Dre's is never going away, that name. Um, so design ended up breaking up a little bit <clears throat> after that point. And then I was in a group called Cave. Um, and Cave, really, really dope group. Um, we ripped up Seattle. I mean, we got, I mean, we were traveling, we toured Korea, Japan, Guam, sold thousands of records, um, performed all over the city. It was one of the biggest rap groups at the time in the region. We traveled everywhere. Um, and I remember, uh, we even got an offer from Def Jam, which was about as big as it gets, right? And that's where the group split. Oh, no. <laughs> so the group split when we got an offer from Def Jam, and one of the members, you know, I'll be honest in saying I wanted to take the offer, right, at least. And I was like, well, let's at least listen. And they were like, yo, I don't even want to listen. I'm like, you don't even want to hear what they're offering? This is the biggest label in all of hip-hop. It was, you know, 
them bad boy and death row at the time, right? And I'm like, yo, we at least got to listen. Like, they're going to try to change us. How do we know, right? Let's at least listen. And it was like, no. So um, at that point, I walked. I was like, I can't be in a situation where somebody else can control my destiny like that. And Def Jam wasn't interested in Dre's as a solo artist or, you know what I mean? Or anybody. They were interested in Cave. They were like, this Cave thing is dope. Can we do something with, the, you know? They were like, yo, let's get you guys out here to New York. And, you know what I mean? So they had, we, I guess they had took our music through their A&R meetings and they loved it. And, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was a heavy blow. You know what I mean? So that started my solo career for real. I still want to get to kind of the social justice and the cultural change you're, you're trying to make. But I, I want to first talk just a little bit more about kind of Seattle and the music community here and how they shaped who you are as an artist. Um, Seattle's music community, hmm, it's kind of hard to say. I don't, I would be, it would be really, really weird for me to say, I would be lying to just be like, Seattle's music community shaped me. Um, I think most of my influences came from my mother and my father and my older brothers and really externally. Now, as far as relationally, yeah, but I don't know that, um, yeah, it's, that's a really tough one. Interesting question, right? But I'm like the music community itself. I don't know. The city has a huge, massive impact on me. But for a long time, I don't feel like I was embraced at first by the community. And so when you do that, you go into your own corner, right? And when you go and and when we were younger through the '90s, it was such a combative community very different than it is now so you had tribal that was vitamin d and those guys you had like scum life which was you know kind of the more the g scene right we were cave we were doing something a little more positive you know you had these different sex and we were all battling right it was like it wasn't this harmonious you know what I mean? Hip hop's in a different space. Back then, we were trying to crush each other, so we didn't want to sound like you. It'd be like you're biting my style, or you know what I mean. And so, I think it raised me, and that environment raised me. So that would probably be, yeah, that's how I'd, I would answer that. So let's talk then about the city and how it shaped you. One of your big hits is "The Hood Ain't the Same." Tell me what was going through your mind that created that song. Everywhere I went, I was having this conversation. You're literally at the barber shop, and they're just, man, do you see what happened to so-and-so? Man, did you know that uh, Sammy's Burgers is gone, bro? What's up with that, right? And then you're somewhere else, and they're just like, man, Helen's closed down too. And, you know, you just, you're having this conversation over and over with that. This is the early rumblings of it. You know what I mean? You're just having the conversation. And I'm a writer, so as a writer, my, my writing process is when I hear themes in my heart or in my life or in my space, I go, wait, I'm talking about that a whole lot. You know what I'm saying? Maybe I'm supposed to lean in here, you know? And so um, one day I was in the CD, and at this time I was going to my mom's house. She was in Kirkland. So I'm in the CD. I need to get over to Kirkland, but I'm waiting. And in that, in that moment, I was like, well, then I'll go grab something to eat. And every place I thought to go eat no longer was there. You just like, well, I'm gonna go here. Wait, no, I can't go there. They're not. I'm gonna go there. Not. You know what I mean? You just start naming these places, and no place exists. Um, not even Phillies. Phillies was gone at this point. I mean, Phillies best is gone. So I was like, then I thought, okay, well, let me just go chill at one of my partner's houses, right? And I start thinking, and all of my 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 guys who lived in this area no longer lived here. 
And it was like literally in that moment, it was like, man, the hood ain't the same. Like it's just, and I think that was the moment where it was kind of birthed and I knew I had to do it. Um, creating the actual music for me, the process is different. I liken it to being pregnant. And so I was pregnant with the idea at that point and I knew I was gonna go there. And then um, there's like a water break moment and that usually happens for me when I hear a track. And I was with my boy Tyrone, AKA Lammy, and he played this beat, you know what I mean? That he just went, yo, you need to get on this track and play me the beat. And I was like, woo, you know what I'm saying? I was like, and it, you know what I loved about it though? All the more, it was so rich. It felt like Seattle. Seattle's a very rich musical town. And if people always ask like, what's the difference in Seattle and New York and LA and all these other places, right? We're not trapping. There's some guys out here trapping, but that ain't, we're real music. You know, it doesn't matter from the smallest to the, from the bottom to the top, we make real music. Those are real horns and real flutes and real guitars, right? It doesn't mean we don't sample, but that's a part of what we do. We cook up real music. So now kind of is this intersection between what we talked about at the beginning, which is you want your music to make some change and, and, and inspire people. And your music in, in turn was inspired by the changes that you're seeing here. So let's talk about this. What... What does that mean to you when you, right now we're at 23rd and Union. Midtown Center. Midtown Center on 23rd and Union across the street from, we'll call it Mal Calvary. We're not going to say the, the the pot shop over there. <laughs> uh, and we're, all these buildings are uh, pretty new within the last five years. And throughout, you know, you've got your friends leaving and you've got different buildings getting put up and different businesses. What does all that mean to you? Um, Really, it's just sad, to be honest, like. I don't know how to, the only thing it makes me do is you have a range of emotions a place can take you, right? Anger is going to do me no good. I'm past that, right? I mean, I, I've been there. I've been down that road. There's nothing down there for me. I'm literally just hurt. It's sad. I go in and out of, of Seattle. I'm back and forth between here and LA. When I come home, it's always something different. I just, you go on my wall right now, I just posted that down there on, um, right on 23rd and, what is that, Jackson, where the Red Apple used to be. Gone now. You know what I'm saying? Vulcan's getting ready to build their $30 million project. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like I posted and the entire hood goes crazy. They're like, yo, this is nuts, you know? Um, so what do I feel? I just feel sad. It's, it's hurtful, you know? Um, it's hard to feel um, I don't feel powerless because at the end of the day, I got my sleeves rolled up and I'm getting busy. But at the end of the day, I'm also it's sad because not everyone can do that. It, it can feel like a man trying to stop a tidal wave. Like, what do you do with a wave? You know what I'm saying? You need a wall. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, that is how it feels sometimes. Like, man, I don't quite know how we resolve all of this. Um, and the, probably the biggest hurt is watching liberal seattle not care right so we we tote liberality and progressive and all these different terms um i'm not progressive i'm not left or right i'm for the people i don't care what you are i love all people and i rock, I rock with some republicans i don't like all their views right but i can sit across the table from someone i disagree with and and give them truth right and perspective and i can do the same with somebody on the left and so yeah i mean what gives you the impression that liberal Seattle doesn't care about what you're experiencing? Well, I'm a man of faith, 
right? And my concept and our concept in faith is faith without works is dead. The idea being who cares if you care, if it doesn't move you, your care is irrelevant, right? At the end of the I see Seattle doing a lot. I just see them doing it in other places and spaces. We we sometimes act like we're powerless to some some like God that's putting pressure down on us or something, right? And it's like exact opposite. We collectively make a decision and we get it done. Right now, we could all just be like, we want to turn Mount Baker into this. And it would be that, right? At the end of the day, we do whatever we want to do. So um, when I say Seattle doesn't care, it doesn't care enough to actually do anything. You know, you know when people are appalled and when they want to get something done. And this just in, this just isn't a priority. It's not high on the agenda. I think we often treat issues surrounding gentrification and other things like like we do our Twitter feed, right? You see it. It's shocking the first time you see it, but you get to scroll on to the next thing. And so someone dies and we tweet about them and we talk about them. And the next day there's a new issue. Right. And so that's how we treat it. And it's like, no, this pain doesn't go away for us. This reality doesn't. We're asking right now in Seattle, we are asking African-Americans to start over in like the year 2025. Because it's happening now. So if it's happening now, it's not going to be done till then. So if it's done, then then we have to start then. Start what? Start building a new, new community, planting roots, getting a legacy. You know what I mean? Like that's a cruel thing. We, we love to tote the, the idea that somehow the past generation was horrible, right? Like, oh, they were horrible, you know, but it's like we don't see the stats of our own lives, right? We don't look and go, there's more African-American men in jail right now than there were on the cotton fields. That's that's our black eye. That's That's our problem. That's not someone else's problem, but because it's removed from us and we don't see it, Right. And so that's when I say they don't care. They don't care because where's the outcry? We're crying out, but we don't got no mediums. Right. So Seattle doesn't care. I'm not, you know, you start getting me into Seattle caring about us, caring. Like, I remember I was on a radio station. I won't say the name of the station because I don't want to air nobody out. But I remember being it was a major radio station in Seattle. And thank God I'm able to get on there and have conversations. But we're in the process of talking about Seattle being diverse and all these other things. And they were excited about, no, Seattle's diverse. And I'm like, no. And they're like, yes, there's opportunities out here. You really believe that, Dre's? And I'm like, okay, you're one of the major radio stations in the Northwest. Major. How many African-American hosts do you have? And there was silence in the room. I'm like, you just told me there was opportunities and you don't have not one. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, man. My point is just when I say care, I mean care enough to do something about it. So if somebody is listening and they wanted you to tell them, Dre's, give me one thing I can do tomorrow. What would you ask them to do? Yeah, I mean, there are tons of things, right? But I would start with this sentiment. Get in your lane, right? It's not your job to to change the world. It's not mine either, right? I can't change the entire world. You have a sphere of influence, and there's something you can do. That's number one. Get in your lane. 
because once you start seeing 40 problems, you get overwhelmed. Find one that you're truly passionate about that goes to the next level. Number two, once you get in that lane, commit to activity in that lane, not just words. I'm not asking you to post about it. Do that. That's great. Awareness is great, but we love the word awareness. I'm raising awareness, right? That's just a, a lazy way of saying I don't have to do nothing about it. I can post it, repost it, share it. I'm giving content to the world. Great. But it has its place, right? This, the, the third piece I would say beyond that is just finding that thing and getting involved, right? And so there are places where you can literally, we're sitting, like I said, at Midtown Center. This building is a uh, newly purchased building and their role to our movement as a whole is literally they're trying to make sure African-Americans can own businesses right in this area and that they can get the loans that they need so that they can buy businesses that you would be shocked how many african-american entrepreneurs the real issue is i can't get a loan they're no different than the next guy but if you go in and you can't get a loan that's the difference you know what i'm saying we oh donald trump donald trump yeah donald trump gets loans you know what i'm saying i mean he also had a father who helped him out but i'm saying at the end of the day you know, we all need a help, a little helping hand alone. How many people, if you look in America, the American dream, the American dream started with a loan. We're in debt. You know why? Because we get loans. You know what I'm saying? So those types of things, I would say find a movement like that and then be a part. Knock on the door. Ask how I can help and then commit to it. It's a long term commitment. These are long term problems. If you're looking and going, well, I'm looking for a place where I could just kind of you know, grab some mashed potatoes, put them on a plate and hand them to someone. That's not what that's not going to solve our problem. Right. That's helpful. Do that, too. If that if that's your lane and your lane is I want to help in the with the homeless population. Absolutely do that. But if you want to help, you know, social justice or any issues, you know, find someone who's already doing the work and partner with them. Why should somebody care about what's happening here in the Central District? Because the story of African-Americans in America is the story of America. The greatest sin of America is the enslavement of African-American people coupled with the annihilation of Native Americans. Those are the greatest sins here. And until we right those wrongs, America's not going to be better. It's not. If you were married, and let's just say it's hypothetical, right? If you were married and you abused your wife, right? And however, you abused your wife and then she, for whatever reason, stayed with you for eight years or something. And then you turned a corner and you stopped. Great, right? So you guys are moving down a positive path. There would still be things that you would have to do to help her heal. That process, maybe you raise your hand to give her a hug and she cringes, Right? Of course, you were abusive, right? Whatever it is, right? I don't, I don't want to, you know, open up a different conversation. My point is simply we're dealing with people who have been abused, massive abuse, mental, emotional, psychological, and it keeps going. The other part, I don't think the average person is the one doing this, but Seattle's greatest sin has always been culpability, right? That's my problem with the right is going to try to kill me. I know that already. The left is just going to be culpable. 
right? So I, you know, so it becomes the lesser of two evils. So we like the left, right? You ask a black man, we're going, hey, we'll be Democrats, not Republicans, right? For that reason, right? But you look at the right. I'm different. I go, well, at least on the right, I know you're my enemy. So I just keep you back. My point is where we become culpable in watching all of this. What does the future hold for Dre's as a musician? Good music. Just really, really good music that I mean more so than the movements that I will champion and be behind because all of my music is not about issues. It's holistic. I believe in kicking it, partying. You know what I'm saying? I have a drink. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, I put one in the air with my boys too and have a good time, relationships, fatherhood. So whole music that touches the lives of people and we're going around the world with it, right? So you're not just going to see me in Seattle. You're going to see me in Africa, in Europe, in China, you know, so... Any concluding thoughts? Um, I, I hope that Seattle will embrace true diversity um, and embrace difference. Diversity is difference. It's not sameness. And it's really hard in Seattle because we're trying to make, um, as a black man, there's always this pressure to somehow, um, you know, assimilate. And I don't want to assimilate. I want to be me with you. Right. And if I can do that and be okay, and can we work together to understand each other and create spaces for us to to live and thrive where there's where there's Chinatown, there's Africa town, you know what I'm saying? And there's the greater Seattle area. We don't want to you know, we're not teaching some sort of separatism. Right. But we're teaching that it's important for us to have these spaces so that we can exist. Dres, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. Thanks for having me. Next, I sit down with Dave B. for another perspective on Seattle's hip-hop scene. But first, enjoy the song The Hood Ain't the Same by Dre's. Central District, raised in the South End. I'm a homegrown kid, yep. 206 living. Used to play flyers up when I lived up on Union. Pushed it out to Orcas and eventually the Kenyans. Didn't have much, but thankful for all we was giving. It was all hood until Weed and Seed crept in. And the blacks went naked and gentrification came. Garfield, Franklin, robberies ain't even the same. Mark my words, it gonna be white boys all on the team. I don't reminisce when I drive through this hood, I feel pain. I ain't proud of these new developments, I feel shame. And I ain't trying to preach at these young brothers just spit game. I guess Ken's the new Southie and the Southie is the CD and the CD. It's just a thing of the past But I remember Sammy's Burgers Soul food down at Helen's Holly Hill back when Duceate was full of felons Now the streets is naked Yeah, they claim it, but nobody banks it My man called me from the joint I said, this thing is changing He said, young homie, what you mean? I said, I can't explain it These folks is moving us around Just like an experiment The city ain't the same The South it ain't the same And all around the world I see the same, same thing Hurting people like cattle Man, I swear it's so strange Picking signs don't change minds They laughing at our pain Brooklyn ain't the same, and Harlem ain't the same And all around the world I see the same, same thing Black men in the White House and ain't nothing changed Playing checkers with our lives, but I'm seeing through the game Okay, I get it, it's supposed to be the melting pot But am I wrong for wanting to live around my own? Loitering in the park park Brown bags, sipping slap box and dice game Fried chicken from Richlands Drive-by tooting my horn, what up pimpin'? This is the town in 95, good living Sewer Park was popping, black Fest, so fast, rose from these ills, man, them things were so fresh. Used to own our homes, 
Now we're all renters Got folks moving south like birds for the winter They asked mama to sell her home, she said no But then we had to shake when them property taxes rose I know you say you ain't the ones in them white sheets But these suits and ties are similar to me Don't try to paint me as the black man who's angry When you gut my community, it's hard to build a legacy I can rally the troops, but I deal with it I see through you, greed, power, and privilege, yo I can rally the troops, but I deal with it I see through you, greed, power, and privilege The city ain't the same, the south it ain't the same And all around the world I see the same, same thing Hurting people like cattle, man, I swear it's so strange Picking signs don't change minds, they laughing at our pain I heard Brooklyn ain't the same, and Harlem ain't the same And all around the world I see the same, same thing Black men in the White House, and ain't nothing changed Playing checkers with our lives, but I'm seeing through the game Yo, just hold the drums, man, let that guitar run, I like how that feels I've been talking so much yah yah on this mixtape I figure I should let you know I do it For the South then I do it for the Central I do it for the one who blow trees to ease their mental I do it for the hustlers, I do it for the grimy I do it for the young knuckleheads coming up behind me I do it for the church, hell I do it for the sinners Cause my prayer is that one day they'll all be repentant I do it for the love, hell I do it for the culture Never for the labels cause they blood sucking vouchers I do it for the cash, I gotta pay my bills For nana and mama, man that family life is real I do it for the whoo I love how that feel when they play that hit back like that new Trace is ill I do it for Zimbabwe, yup, they're my people I say some fly-ish, but I ain't really on no ego No disrespect to Pops, but I do it for my mama Enough said, <laughs> just know I do it That was The Hood Ain't the Same by my first guest, Dre's. I'm Jeff Shulman, and in case you forgot, you are listening to the Seattle Grove podcast. It is available for free on iTunes. Now join me as I sit down with Dave B. I am here with Dave B., a Seattle hip-hop artist who collaborated with Macklemore on the hit song Corner Store. Dave B., thank you for joining me today. No doubt. Thanks for having me. You've performed in a sold-out key arena in your hometown. You've uh, performed on national TV in Jimmy Fallon. You're headlining your own concert at the Neptune here in Seattle. What's going through your head as you're having all these great accomplishments? Um, it feels good. I don't. I haven't taken the time to stop and be like, "Dang, all this stuff has happened." But uh, it feels nice. All, everything just kind of—it's like a snowball effect. It was like one good thing after another, and now we got this Neptune thing about to happen, and it's, it's all just exciting. I'm gonna ask you to take that time and think. So you are performing in front of <laughs> thousands of Seattle fans. Yeah. What was going through your mind when you took that stage? Um, okay, beforehand, I was chilling. I was like, this is, you know, it's another show. It's going to be okay. And then I got up there, and I was, I was like, <gasps> like, oh, my goodness. Everything kind of just stopped. And I was nervous, but I, I had, like, the most fun I've ever had on a stage before. Probably in my life. Definitely in my life. I had the most fun ever. And I don't really remember anything specific about being up there. It was kind of just like everything went blank and I was having a ball it was great 
you have these two amazing accomplishments performing on Jimmy Fallon for a national audience and performing for your home crowd, thousands of people, sold out concert. Which was more impactful? Which did you love more? Uh, oh, man. Um, definitely being at the Key Arena. Uh, I mean, not not even definitely, but for sure. Sh- definitely uh, the key arena that was that was that for sure um i used to go there and watch sonic's games with my dad so i just had like a more of a tie to that and that that was just more impactful for me in my life being able to perform on that stage you have all these great things happening in your life and your career right now take me back to the beginning tell me a little bit about the seattle that you grew up in i grew up in a very christian household going to church every Sunday and pretty much like three or four days out of the week. I went to this private Christian school. I was in a bunch of choirs and my dad was a pastor at the church and he was a mu- he's a musician as well. He plays bass. And yeah, they had me in a bunch of, I used to do a lot of theater and musical theater and that kind of sparked me wanting to be on stage and being around all that gospel music and singing in choirs made me want to sing and use my voice. So I kind of just picked up on those things. I kind of went back to that after a while. I did like a year in college and decided I didn't want to be in college anymore. I don't know if that's good to say we're at college. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just decided I wanted to make music and, and perform. And so I kind of just picked that up and just got the ball rolling on that. So tell me about your first experiences performing in Seattle. Uh, what do you remember from those early days? I remember we I, we did a bunch of shows. This is how pretty much how I met him. I was in school in Chicago, and then uh, he saw a video of me on, I don't even know what it was. It was on Twitter or YouTube or something. And then he like messaged me and was like, come back to Seattle. Let's do a show. Bet. I was coming back for the summer anyway. Come back. We were doing shows for like 30 people or just the homies or just the other people that are performing. There's probably 30 people on the bill. So we're performing in front of all these folks. And those were like the first performances for me and just like the most meaningful because it would be either be in front of a bunch of your homies or just a bunch of faces you didn't know. But it wasn't like something super grand and nobody was that good. I wasn't good. So it was like I get to just fail. I just get to go up here and do whatever I wanted to do. And uh, it kind of helped me figure out my own little lane and and what would work and what wouldn't work for me. So you pointed to Warsami Warsami, your, your manager. When did you start actually booking some shows? Um, as soon as I came back. I don't know. I don't know how. He's already, he had already been booking shows. Like he would book bigger artists to come to perform here and then put his homies on to, to open up the show. So that was a lot of, of what was going on. And... So I kind of just fell into a situation where it was like, oh, this dude's been booking shows since he was like 15 years old. So we were able to just pretty much capitalize on that and book more and book our own shows once it got to that level. But in the beginning, it was just to go up there and be be as bad as you want. <laughs> and what kind? are there any specific locations that you remember and, and what the crowd was like at those places when you were getting started? I remember I remember doing a Numo show and I never seen so much space <laughs> without people. But that was fun. And then uh we did some Nectar Lounge shows which were cool. 
uh where else were we before man before 95 was 95 it was uh what was it it was called hd lodge yeah and so we performed there now 95 is just rubble in the middle of capitol hill and um where else we did some block parties just like like beacon hill block party and uh and and just like some outdoor shows but it was a lot of fun and so how has seattle uh, the city or the community here shaped or influenced your musical career? I used to not think that Seattle had its own sound when it came to music, but that's not true. There's definitely like a beat here and uh, and the way the city is moving more. Recently, I feel like it's moving so fast and everything's growing so fast. So I've been kind of like, as of late, I've been like sort of writing to that beat and kind of just, there's something very, contemporary about what's going on in Seattle is something very new that I really appreciate and earlier I would just draw inspiration from it's so gray well not today but it would be so great so that would just kind of be the mood of what I was making but I feel like you can't help but to be a product of what you're living in and that's kind of just where I draw from what I'm around and what I'm seeing how would you describe the people that you've met in the Seattle music scene along the way Everyone's really chill. Everyone has like their own little flavor, which is dope, but everyone's also very, very supportive. Like they'll come to your show, they'll help promote your show, even if they're not on it. Like everyone's really cool. I, uh, I got to meet like some of the closest homies through just them also being artists and, and we just kind of connect like that and we could just chill and it don't even have to be about music at all, but everyone's really supportive or everyone I deal with. <laughs> So we're kind of hearing your journey in Seattle's music scene uh, from performing in the choir and going to school and then coming back, performing shows all the way to now, you know, performing uh, on national TV and headlining at the Neptune. What's the inflection point? Where did it switch where all of a sudden all these great things are happening for you? Something happened in 2015 where I, I don't know, I got good. <laughs> like that sounds terrible oh my goodness but yeah I like I had worked so hard and just working on my craft because that's all I was doing all day like I I had got fired from my job in like 2013 so I was like I'm just gonna make music every day broke for like two years and just did that and then I uh and then through that I I, I met this man Jonathan Moore and he kind of just flipped the switch on for me he was he's like a he is like Seattle's Seattle hip hop's like OG, like godfather. Like so he took Sam and I under his wing, showed us told us all of the secrets. It was like like a it was like a karate movie, you know, when the sensei gives you all unlocks all the secrets for you. And he and not that there were secrets, but he just kinda helped us find what like internally what we needed to do. And uh that kind of flipped the switch on and it created a bunch of relationships for me and, and got me in different places that I wouldn't have been like different rooms that I wouldn't have been in. And through that, this engine just started revving and, and I put, we put out a project together and then in 2016, we put out another project and everything just started to go up. And then last, just last year and last fall, everything kind of just, I wouldn't say it's fully come together yet, but it's getting very close. <laughs> like everything kind of just, dang, this is really happening. So it's been like, 
he always used to say we believe in ascension and we don't believe him just blowing up because that as quick as you come you leave like that so we've just been on this roller coaster just going up and it's exciting during this ascension so your career is changing and you're personally changing and seattle is changing all at the same time so it might be hard to disentangle them but uh have you noticed any changes in seattle that have affected your ability to pursue the dreams that you have i feel like there's more like industry that's coming here and so it's helping like now we have a we have a festival in Seattle now. I mean we have the up, this upstream festival, which is like a music conference in Seattle now, and that comes from so many people being here and so many companies coming together here. Like and that's great for everybody, for all artists here. Um, and when I first like the first festival I did was Bumper Shoot, but now you see like a lot more space for local artists on festivals like that and on like a Sasquatch because there's a demand for that now I feel like with more people that are coming here and they don't know about a Dave B or whoever that's from Seattle but they're like I mess with that and I want to go see that and I want to see that in a place where it's not just this underground scene so now I feel like promoters and people that are booking shows are being forced to kind of get these guys that are from here onto these shows and also with that comes a bunch of buildings this is just a totally different tangent that are being built upon all my childhood memories that i used to go to and write songs at but now i can't because it's a freaking pcc or a whole foods now or some apartment building at an elementary school that i used to go to and now i can't just go vibe out and listen to my own music so how does that make you feel seeing those places that it's bittersweet because you want to see your city grow and you want to see like Seattle's an, uh, it's one of those cities. I mean, for me, I feel like it's becoming like a major city in America and you want to see that happen, but you want to see it happen and you want to see everything that you grew up around still there. And I feel like slowly it's being kind of taken away from us, but and what area is this in particular? Uh, I went to I went to this school in Columbia City. It's it's mostly happening in like central and south through like South Seattle, and I mean, there's still a lot of what used to be there, but you can see how it's how it's changing and how things are being closed down, and there's just new developments coming up. But I guess that's what has to happen. <laughs> So, so why does it matter that, you know, a building that you sang a song about or wrote a song in front of, why does it matter whether it's still there or not? Because I feel like that's, that's like my Seattle that I grew up in, that I hold dear to my heart. And I'm like trying to tell these stories about these places. And, and now it's the new horizon living <laughs> whatever so people can't there's it's not a real story you got to go google a picture of what used to be there or something like that and it's just i mean it's just a real uh, it's like a real selfish way to look at it but it's it's just my little thing that irks me anything else that's uh positive or negative about the changes seattle's undergoing um i just love People don't like it, but I love how many people are moving here. I think it's great. It's like uh like when you go to like a New York or in LA and no one's really from there. Like you go to you go to certain places, you go to South Lake Union, 
half the people you meet are not from Seattle. And I think that's dope. <laughs> you go to like, you walk into a bar, to a party, and everybody just is a transplant from somewhere else. I'm like, dang, is this what Seattle's becoming? This is beautiful. We get to, Seattle's already always for me been very diverse, but now it's even more diverse. And now we're getting all even more culture here. And it's, it's dope. We're going to get back to your music and selling out the Neptune Theater's concert in just a minute. But first, I'm going to ask you, if you were mayor of Seattle, or if you could speak to the mayor of Seattle, what would you ask? I don't know what it's like now, but I know when I was um, in school, there wasn't very much arts programs. Like, there wasn't really a theater program at my high school or, like, or, I mean nothing that was serious like I would like to see more room for like for drama or just like a public theater or like a place that people can go to gather and and express themselves we have like there's like little underground things that go on but I feel like we need like Seattle needs a place to for people to go like we need like something that is there that is that that isn't that I don't have to dig through a tweet to find or that I don't have to get this special text message to know about. Like I, uh, I would like for there to be more room for like in an artistic community. What do you see for the future of Seattle's music scene? Oh, it's, it's going up. It's going to become one. It's going to become one of those like New York, LA, like Atlanta cities where people come here to, to, to find themselves and to whatever follow their dreams except it's not going to eat you alive like that because i feel like seattle's very open to receiving a new idea as far as i'm concerned and um but yeah i I feel like it's going to become one of those biggest cities for just media in general you got to perform in a sold out key arena when you are headlining a sold out key arena who are you bringing with you to perform on stage I got to bring my brother Romero Francois. He's like a really dope artist. also from Seattle. And my guy Mo Money, he's going to definitely come. And then by then, who knows? There's going to be some there's going to be some other really dope artists that I'm going to bring along. It's going to be great. I keep on saying it's going to be great. That's like my tagline of the day. Any concluding thoughts on growing up in Seattle, the changes and Seattle's music scene? I think my whole point with all with all those tangents the underlying thing is that for people that may, that may not be from here that there is a there's a Seattle that you should try and educate yourself on and and then the city will be that even even more fun for you i feel like there's a lot to explore when you come here just like with any city i mean there's like a history here and it may not look like it with all these cranes and everything that's coming up but there is there's a there's a there's a heart and a soul to this city that i feel like is worth exploring dave b thank you very much for joining me today i appreciate your time and perspective thanks for having me that is all for today's episode of seattle growth podcast have an opinion to share please reach out to me on twitter at prof shulman i'd love to hear what you thought of the perspectives shared in today's episode In What's to Come on Seattle Growth Podcast, you will learn what is attracting musicians to Seattle, why some musicians are leaving or planning to leave the city, and how the musical talents in Seattle are being utilized for alternative purposes. But first, next week's episode explores whether the collaborative spirit from Seattle's early days continues today. You will hear from Lydia Ramsey, a singer-songwriter who also books artists at the Triple Door. 
because I've been able to learn so much about the back end of the industry through Triple Door. That's helped me build so many connections and stuff for my own project as a musician on the front end. You'll hear from prom queen, Celine Ramadan. I've been living here in Seattle for about 13 years, and I didn't really start doing music until I moved to Seattle. Uh, but ever since I moved here, I've been doing it, and it's has been a really interesting journey. And you'll hear from a music industry leader, Austin Santiago. So we were, we were involved really early with Macklemore, with um, Alan Stone, with Odessa. Please subscribe to Seattle Growth Podcast and iTunes so you don't miss a single episode. I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey of the fourth season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Now to close out the episode, enjoy the song, Sweetest Thing, by Dave B. So down for your love Shala 